Hello, everyone, and welcome to my podcast. My name is Carlo. I'm a child development major at El Camino College here in Torrance, California. Um, I'm also a hairstylist, and I went to cosmetology school in LA. I went to Aveda Institute, Los Angeles, California, and I've been doing hair for about I want to say since like 2014 all the way up to 2021 so that's like about five six years I've had about like two years of experience in the salon and so I'm back in school and I'm studying child development because I feel like it's one of my passions and it's just a very interesting like topic to me and so I wanted to do this podcast to just, you know, relate to children who might be going through similar problems that I may have experienced in my childhood, as well as like my high school experience and and uh, early adulthood. I'm going to be talking about in this podcast, uh, the emerging adulthood and post senior year after high school. I want to start off by saying that, you know, in my senior year of high school, it was like the last year of high school. I was a class of 2009, so around this time, you know, MySpace, Facebook, you know, they were getting pretty big already. And so, yeah, I was already familiar with technology at the time. I got my first phone when I was in middle school, when I was 12 years old. And my mom, you know, she gave it to me. She was like, here, here's your new cell phone. And I was like, okay, like, I thought it was pretty cool because like, you know, I have a way to stay connected with my family while I was away at school for a long time. And, you know, like all of my classmates were starting to get phones as well. And so I started seeing it as like a normal thing that technology was starting to, you know, take over and, um, you know, even before I had my first cell phone, my sister and, like, my cousins had their first cell phones before me as well. I believe they had, like, the Nokia phone, and so I don't remember what model, but it was, like, a Nokia cell phone, and I remember going on it sometimes and playing uh, Snake on there. <laughs> it was a very um, addicting game, so I just remember that. And so it was pretty normal around that time and even before that time that technology was starting to take over. And, you know, it, was, it wasn't uncommon to see like laptops, smartphones, and teachers were starting to use digital projectors and smart boards as tools for like our learning. And so we were just pretty much familiar with that. Like, there was no, there was no way to just, like, we weren't going to go backwards, so we were just going to go ahead and move forward with the way that technology and our learning developed in school. I even remember there was a course that I took in high school. It was, like, a computer class. I don't remember what it was, but I, I just remember some of the projects we had to do in that class was, like, having to, like, build your own website or do like powerpoints but i remember the powerpoint 
projects that we did. Oh no, sorry about that. It wasn't PowerPoints. PowerPoints was in middle school and elementary school. But um, the website was what, the one in my computer class in high school. And I remember doing like a whole website on like K-pop and Korean culture because, you know, I'll get more into that later because that also involves, you know, being connected to technology and my friends. So yeah, that was my that was my class in high school, the commu computer class. We had to like come up with like a website. And yeah, that was like the only thing that I could come up with was just like a a K-pop website. It had like links to certain I don't remember. It was just a long time ago. <laughs> I don't even think it ever got published, but I think my grade in that class, I, I passed because, you know, as long as he, my teacher at the time, saw effort into making the website, then I guess we were good. But yeah, so I guess after graduation, <clears throat> yeah, so yeah, there was Facebook, MySpace, and you know, MySpace was already a thing. Um, people were building their website on MySpace, like putting together like their theme using HTML and Facebook suddenly just came into the picture and like we were using Facebook as a way to stay connected to people, we're, you know, like micro blogging through posts and then you're able to like comment on certain posts and, you know, make a sub post and then uh, that's how Facebook started and then there would be like Facebook groups I remember where you know pretty much it was like the memes before memes was a thing but pretty much the Facebook groups were like for example uh, I hate that things cost money Facebook group and then you could either like it or you can join the group and I remember at the time there was I was seeing a lot on my feeds that people were joining these groups and I was like oh okay I should probably join these groups too so that other people can see that we're in the same boat with each other you know and so that was another way of of staying connected and and um, understanding that we all kind of come from the same place you know like we all kind of think the same and so I guess that's that's even how the algorithm started too, like, because they were just kind of getting everyone collectively grouped together. And, you know, if they have the same mindsets, then that's a thing as well. And then in addition to Facebook, there was Tumblr and AIM and Twitter. AIM was pretty much more geared towards, like, instantly having a conversation with someone like in real time so this was probably like before before like zoom and whatnot because i remember aim from like a really long 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 time ago like even before high school and middle school i remember aim was was the it was pretty much the dming back then <laughs> Because you know how they have DMs now, like sliding in the DMs on Instagram and Facebook Messenger, like that was all, it was all on one place at the time and that was AIM. 
and I remember you had to like sign on and have like a username and then you would have like your friends list on the side and then you would be able to just choose who you want to message and then if you went away from the keyboard you would put your away message and put that you were away one of the more popular ones uh, social media was Twitter also that one I remember it was just like a way for people to make a lot of posts at the same time without annoying people on you know Facebook so Twitter was just like I remember at the time too I was using Twitter because I after after like high school and then when I was in college I my next cell phone was I remember I had like a a sidekick I don't know if anyone remembers sidekicks but I had a sidekick for a while I think like a year and I would always be on Twitter using my sidekick and I really did like the sidekick because you know it was just very nifty like the way it would just flip open and you would have the screen on top and then the keyboard on the bottom it was just like a more better way to like connect through social media because the keyboard feature allowed you to type freely without having to press a certain number to to get to like a letter like if you wanted to say hello to someone you wouldn't have to type like the number what's it called like h is on four you wouldn't have to press four twice and then so on with the next letter like three for e and then five for L three times and then E two times. Um, yeah, so yeah, the sidekick was just a lot easier to type and message people. And um, I remember Twitter was my big uh, app at the time that I used a lot to tweet things. And yeah, it was just a very interesting time, I could say. Um, yeah, I was using I remember using mostly Tumblr and and Twitter as a way to stay connected to like my high school friends uh, because a lot of them had had Twitter and Tumblr as well and so Tumblr at the time was another way to like make posts and like comment and yeah they they changed Tumblr after a while I think there was like a format of how Tumblr used to be and then after it changed that's when everyone sort of stopped using it because I remember you were able to see like your top liked blogs and it would like show up it was kind of like similar to MySpace where they had the top top eight friends I believe it was yeah it was similar to that and I think it was just showing like favoritism of like people and yeah so this was also even before Instagram and so yeah okay so now after all of that I want to mention how I was like very into the Korean pop culture I mean I was already into pop culture for a while I just think that the Korean pop culture had its way had its own little quirky way of coming into America at the time. And I remember in my high school, there was 
this multicultural assembly that we would have every year. And my senior year was actually the first year that they incorporated a K-pop as part of the multicultural assembly because there was no other Asian representation besides like we had okay so I'm Filipino American and then we had a Falam group in my high school that they would always perform the tinickling dance which is pretty much like a sticks and you would do that dance to like kind of showcase the you know that you're a Filipino pretty much and you know like shows kind of like our culture and yeah so I guess 2009 was the first year that they incorporated a Korean culture based um, sort of performance and so I remember at the time they were doing um, pretty much it was just like a like I guess they had I remember too, it was like they had like one or like a few people learn a dance to like a K-pop song and then they would, that would be the performance of like the Korean pop culture. Um, and I remember I was supposed to be in it, but I had a little bit of a, like a issue with somebody at the time and I don't really want to go into details about that because it was a long time ago. But um, yeah, like... I knew I was good for that performance like I, I knew the dance that they were doing and I feel like I could have done way better than the person that they chose to replace me but it was just very petty at the time like I don't again like I don't want to go into details about that but yeah like that was another thing that I was interested in at the time and I had a few friends who were already interested in it as well and we were just kind of identifying as like you know with our Asian heritage more and in addition to already you know being Filipino and so I guess the Korean pop culture was our way to see that we were kind of similar but also kind of different as well. And I guess that plays a that plays a significant role into like how it shaped me as a person and, you know, kind of identifying more with what I was interested in and like expressing myself and kind of coming out of the closet a little bit more. Because to be honest, like the Filipino culture was great. I I had no issue there well there were I'll get more into it later but you know I our culture to be honest I, I mean to be frank it had a lot of influences from being Catholic and going to church every Sunday and so I felt like that was my hope my life before I was introduced to k-pop and I didn't really have any other way of expressing myself. And so I felt that, you know, this whole Korean pop culture was kind of like my my eye-opening, uh, awakening experience to like who I was going to become later on in life. And, you know, especially because, you know, watching all these vid music videos and you know learning these dances and 
you know, like getting more into like the fashion industry. Yeah, I, it wasn't really getting into the industry yet, but you know, you know, I, I was soon going to become um, like more of a fashion enthusiast or like a makeup enthusiast later on, but this was just sort of the way that introduced me to that. Yes, I had a little quote here from one of my, my entries uh, in my in my college journal, it says, I didn't get a chance to wash the clothes. However, I did get a chance to learn the beginning dance steps to La Chata. And I remember at the time, La Chata was a dance or like a song that was by a Korean group called F of X. And so I, I was just learning that one because I felt like that one... There's a lot of girl groups, by the way, that I felt like I connected a lot with or like almost identified with and F of X was one of them. And so what what I liked about learning dances was that I felt like I don't want to say I felt like I was a woman or whatever, but I felt like I sort of belonged to a group or any group that I was learning the dance to. And so that was another way of identifying myself with these Korean group, the the members of these Korean groups. You know, it was just my way of like expressing who I was. Like I, I remember wanting to feel like I was the 10th member of SNSD at the time. <laughs> And so every time I was learning a dance by any, you know, like either F of X or SNSD, I would imagine that I was like a member of their group. And so it felt nice to just kind of know the dance because then, uh, you know, like I spent time learning it. And so um, it made me feel like a sense of achievement and like belonging to like a certain bias or group that, you know, was in the K-pop culture. And I had a friend at the time, too, who was doing this as well. And, you know, um, he would learn dances, too, with me and record them. And I would get them uploaded onto YouTube. And so, yeah, this, you know, doing this as well kind of was normal for us at the time because, you know, we wanted to stay connected with each other and doing these dances kind of put us on some sort of platform a little bit and you know YouTube was already pretty big at the time and so when we would upload it to our my YouTube account we would feel like we were connected with each other and you know we would always have this video together and you know learning these dances helped us stay connected to kid the K-pop culture as well. And so, yeah, um, a quote that I got from my journal was, I uploaded his again and again dance cover and it got pretty famous in only the first day. So that is true because, like I said, uploading it to YouTube was our way to stay connected and we didn't really care about the views that it got or or how many likes it got 
And so, yeah, YouTube was pretty big. And we just felt like we were kind of starting a potential, you know, interest or hobby. But I didn't really follow through with that. And I don't think my friend did either. So. And so another thing that we liked to do in Korean pop culture was to eat Korean barbecue. And so we had another friend, you know, I mentioned even in the journals that we were in a group called KPC. And so one of our friends from the KPC group gave us like metal chopsticks to use as her going away gift because she was going to college in San Diego. And so she gave us all like our own metal chopsticks from Korea when she when she had visited. And so that was her going away gift to us. And I'm assuming it was to use while eating KBBQ either at home or at restaurants. But um, I remember I had my my metal chopsticks at my old house and I think I lost it so I don't have it anymore. So that sucks but yeah I, it was just like a parting gift so it was just like another way for us all to be connected with each other and and so I really appreciated it at the time because you know I was I was obsessed <laughs> um, then I yeah so yeah, and another thing I didn't really mention was um, in addition to all of this, like, you know, dancing and and uh, eating at KBBQ and shopping for all these um, Korean-inspired clothing, uh, we also went to concerts. I remember going to, to an Epic High concert, and I also went to a... Uh, 2 p.m. in a Wonder Girls concert. And so, you know, going to these concerts too at the time was my dad started noticing that I was hanging out with with my friends a lot who were also interested in the same things. And he started noticing that I was changing. And so, it, you know, it was it was hard for me to kind of to kind of come out to like my dad you know, post-senior year because all he'd known my whole life about me was that I was I was just, you know, going to church every Sunday. I was being obedient. And, and then, you know, suddenly, like, to go from that to, like, this, like, uh, diva, um, I'm pretty sure it was, it was, like, a 180 or, like, a 360 change for him so it was probably a lot for him to to process I can understand that now and so he my dad had a lot of hopes for me growing up he wanted me to to marry a woman and have a have a child and that's another part of growing up in my Filipino culture was that you need to get married and you know have a child and and that's it pretty much like you just have to follow those rules and I didn't know at the time like I didn't know yet if I wanted to do that and it was just one of my little struggles that I was going through like on my I don't want to say on my own but 
you know, I, I just felt like there was a lot of pressure. And so I didn't know yet. Like, I just wanted to be more than what I was born into. Like, I knew there was more to me than just being, like, an altar server at church. And so I didn't know that yet. And so I was figuring it all out, like, right after high school. And so another thing that I want to get into talking about in this podcast is some of the struggles that I've experienced. Um, One of them, especially after high school, was I was still going through a little bit of trauma. Um, That being said, the trauma that I experienced was, you know, my sister was kicked out of our house. And it was because she herself, you know, she came out as a lesbian at the time. And what was traumatic about that was because, you know, like my parents were arguing with her and they like told her that she needed to, you know, that she was getting kicked out because she, you know, either either not be a lesbian or be a lesbian and be kicked out. And so I've, you know, I've experienced it like I just like secondhand uh, you know, just seeing how that had happened. And then um, even living with my sister for a couple of years in LA, she told me her story as well. The whole subject of of being gay or lesbian or whatever, it was taboo in our household. And so even though like my mom found out about my sister, it was not like, you know, my mom confronted her about it. She was expecting my sister to just tell her and open up and, like, kind of just tell her instead of my mom confronting my sister. And so that's kind of, you know, another part of of my Filipino culture was that the parents are the ones that are, like, the ones that are always right and that we should always go to them. There's never like a balance between, you know, them coming to us and communicating with us and asking us about our life. It's always us going to them. And especially with such a subject as, you know, homophobia and or like if you're gay or if you're if you're like curious about anything like of that matter, it's just it's taboo and so it was very bold of my sister to, you know, I'm sure she was scared too because, you know, my sister's the oldest and she had a lot of expectations amongst, you know, like me and my brother. And she had to kind of be a role model for us and do, you know, the right things for us and not make any mistakes. But, you know, I get it. We're all human and we make mistakes. But, that's the thing too is like part of growing up in a filipino cultured household like there was kind of like no room for mistakes and so um my sister i felt like she had never done anything bad in her life to like not you know she would always get good grades and she would she would do all these extracurricular activities and And so, you know, that in itself was already a good role model for me. Like, I wanted to do the same things that she did. And 
And so that inspired me to kind of be, you know, I wanted to be myself as well and like figure out what I wanted to do and excel in the things that I wanted to do. And so if you can imagine how that must be like, like, you know, having this good older sister figure who got good grades and, you know, excelled in school and then suddenly just like coming out as a lesbian and then being kicked out by our parents, that just kind of like, you know, it sort of traumatized me. It made me think like, oh, then like nothing I do is right. Like, you know, I can't be gay or I can't be anything because if I am, then, you know, I'm going to be kicked out too. And so that was very hard for me, you know, growing up because like I lost a sibling. And so... You know, it was just, it was very hard to trust my environment that I was living in. Like, no one was was there for me to support me. Like, my sister was still, you know, there, obviously, but she was stationed in the Navy. And, and I think she was in Guam, you know, after, after she was done with basic training, she was stationed in, I think, like, Guam and, and Hawaii. So she was away for a long time. She wouldn't... I don't think she would come home to visit us either because of the previous abuse that my parents had inflicted upon her. So she wouldn't she wouldn't really visit us or if she did it would be once in a blue moon. And so you know even when she would visit there would be no discussion about anything. It would just be like she would come home and say hello, stay for like a day and then you know, have, we would have dinner, and then that would be it. Like, that's it. And so, yeah, that was my trauma that I experienced. And then same thing with my brother and I. Like, it was hard for us to, like, open up to people after that. And so another thing that happened post-high school was um, I was addicted to video games. And so... I remember at the time I was um, playing a lot of RuneScape, which is pretty much an MMORPG. And I had a friend that I was playing RuneScape with, and I would stay up for hours after, you know, after it was nighttime already. We would stay up just playing, like, RuneScape and getting our XPs <laughs> in, like, of our skills on there. And so that kind of, that addiction was kind of, was, was a problem actually for me. And, and so uh, a lot of that was following me into my adulthood because, you know, after school, sometimes I would just want to come home and, and just play video games. And, you know, I didn't quit RuneScape until like, until a few years later. So I was still playing around the early college years, until my early college years, and so I was still playing, and I remember, like, I remember playing and then not wanting to leave the house because all I wanted to do was just play video games, and, and yeah. And in addition to video game addiction, uh, I... I would also have this mentality of like, 
of blaming other factors of my grades not being so well. When you when you believe that intelligence is innate or a fixed quantity present at your birth. And so I you know, I just thought I wasn't born intelligent and so I would blame that on like not having good grades because you know, it made me not want to try and that, you know, my efforts would go unnoticed and so I just had an overall bad attitude about my about my, you know, learning and like education at the time and so I've come a long way since then like you know I put more effort now into my work and studying and and I do get good grades now that I've noticed how you know all the effort I put into it and it really isn't about your intelligence it's about work you know putting the effort into making it a priority so that way you can you know, get good grades and follow your goals. And so, yeah, that's all I wanted to discuss about in this podcast. So thank you guys for coming and I'll see you guys in my next one. Bye.